0: Hello, hello, this is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, a different kind of guest, but honestly, it's about time. So in the unscripted world, we've been, let's say, a little slow to get into the digital space. And today's guest is one of the very big success stories in the digital space. Josh Entman is the co-founder and chief development officer of Jukin Media, which is right here in L.A. Jukin's been in the news a lot lately because they've been so hugely successful. And their core business is pretty simple, actually. It's acquiring videos and making them go viral. But there's so much more to what they're doing. Josh talks all about the Jukin business model. Model, the kinds of exciting things they're getting into, and why this clearly is the wave of the future. Hello, hello. <laughs> so happy you're here.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. I'm happy to have you. I always start by saying how I met my guest. So you and I met about a year and a half ago. I think when I was thinking about moving to LA. Yes. I hadn't yet moved, and Tim Duffy connected us and he said, You need to talk to Josh and He's at this company, Juka Media, and I looked it up, and I was like, oh, my God, I have no clue what is happening here. This is so <laughs> not my domain, but I'm fascinated by it, and I was excited to have you on. I said in my intro, you're really sort of like our first digital guest because right. we've had so many sort of traditional you know, producer types, um, or not just producers, all people in all aspects of Unscripted, but what you guys are doing is so different, and I think probably the way it's all going to go in some way, shape, or form, so... Thank you for being
1: here. <laughs> no, thank you. Do you know for certain that it was Tim and not Mike? Because I am the no. worst with both of them. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, It was Odd uh, Duffy, brother?
0: It was Odd. They were on the podcast, uh, I don't know when, but um, I had, like, at the beginning, I was like, okay, say it's Mike, say it's Tim, <laughs> so people, and then I think we just gave up. And it's just like, <laughs> you know what? They're both smart and, uh, you
1: know, they- Did they ever talk at the same time and say the same thing? Because that's like a twin thing, right?
0: Yeah, they definitely complete each other's thoughts. So Tim has a beard, and then Mike is clean-shaven. So visually, I definitely know the difference. Right. But then, yeah, if they're on the phone, people never have, or, you know, an audio situation, people have no clue. So I think it was Tim. Very (laughs) good people
1: over there. Yes. Very good colleagues support them, obviously, immensely.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about you. So let's talk about Jukin, and then we'll sort of backtrack to how you arrived. You co-founded Jukin, and why don't you just... Why don't you tell our listeners what the heck this is. Duke is? I sort yeah. of set it up a little bit, but you're going to be way better at really breaking it down.
1: So, the, the company was founded about six years ago, um, though we were in a office slash garage slash apartment. Um, it's true that really does happen where you open a laptop in someone's apartment, that becomes your first office. It's um, very Steve
0: Jobs. Very Steve, <laughs> yeah,
1: just like the movie Social Network. No. <laughs> right. um, and so, the goal of the company at the time was John, who's the founder and CEO, came from a long line of clip show producing, started as a researcher, eventually worked his way up to segment producer and kind of bounced around from show to show. But what he was good at and what he was doing at the time that no one else was doing was acquiring the rights to digital video. And at, at literally six years ago, people were still waiting by the PO box and they were putting ads in the classified section. Wow. Like You couldn't believe the methodology for getting submissions was still VHS tapes sent here. We go through, we put tape on it, like very analog. And then they would go through, so they would like, send us your 1990 boating fails. We're going to go through them. And it's a show for, you know, True TV, et cetera. Wow. And John quickly adapted and said, I think if you just reach out to, you know, said video creator who posted this awesome boating accident on YouTube, that you can acquire the rights that way. And the producers on that show at the time pretty much said, uh, that's not the case. You can't identify that's the true rights holder. Copyright always an issue. How can you verify it? Um, there was no 25-year legacy of America's Funniest Home Videos where there was truckloads of tape. So they were, they were really just kind of set in their ways. And he said, let me see if I can create an account on YouTube, reach out to these people, and get you know digital files. By the end of the week, he had stacked up so many videos for a pitch meeting that they were literally like, you have to go teach everyone how to do this. So he rose up through the ranks fairly quickly and bounced around from show to show. He worked at Pilgrim. He worked at Asylum, um, but primarily on clip shows. And eventually he kind of had that uh, epiphany where he was at MIP and he's seeing kind of the the world's content at scale, seeing shows that he produced uh, being sold around the world to which he gets no piece. Um, He was just a freelance. If he called in sick one day, that's it. Right. You're done. Right. And he realized maybe he couldn't own the show. But he made contact with all those video creators that built you know, the entire show, essentially. And he quit his job. And he came home and he called me up and he said, I think we should buy the rights to YouTube videos. And I didn't know what that meant, but I understood <laughs> right. ownership of IP. Yeah. And I understood the notion that um, online video was just getting bigger and bigger. There was a lot of legacy sites from the 90s. If you think about College Humor and Break right. and leak very suspect, some of them. Yeah, um, Some have since pivoted. But then YouTube where everyone was uploading, you know, baby videos and cat videos and, you know, fails and wins and extraordinary pieces of content that were kind of slice of life moments. And all we were doing was sending messages. Hey, we love your video. There's this great show on Animal Planet. Can we license it? Uh, And we paid for every video we acquired. So thus a business was born. We didn't know what it was. We certainly didn't know where we would end up, but I, I, I do think that. To this day, that core um, efficiency is still what drives the business, Yeah, which is we have to have researchers scouring now a lot of video right. on a lot of platforms to find the very best content so that we can distribute it around the world. I have a million questions. Okay, so let's Fire back up. Yeah, yeah. like
0: I, my, my brain is like, well, what about this? What about this? Yeah. But first of all, how did you guys know each other? So why did he call you first
1: of all? So John and I went to high school together. We grew up um, down the street in Buffalo Grove, Illinois. Nice. A northwest suburb of Chicago. Good Um, good
0: Midwestern boys. Good
1: Midwestern boys. Yeah. Um, When I moved out, it was pretty much just, hey, let's grab a beer. His neighbor was one of my best friends growing up. And John and I weren't as close. He was a year older, um, but I hadn't seen him in 10, 12 years. Grab a beer He was just starting out. I'm just starting out. I'm working in advertising sales. Yeah. My background is always in sales, which is why I look and behave the way that I do. (laughs) Right. John's background was really in. I want to be in TV and film, and yeah, worked his way up through the ranks. I think there was just the perfect marriage of like entrepreneurial spirit in both of us and what we wanted to do. Um, I'm the fortunate one that gets the phone call when he says, "I want to do this. Like, come help me and let's go." Like. sell if you will that we're going to reach out to people and it's percentage game you know in in 2009 or 2010 if you sent someone a direct message on youtube it didn't feel natural yet right like getting a dm on twitter or on facebook it was awkward and it was how do you optimize that like what do you need to say is it um i want to buy your video or is it i want I can help get your video on television, A-B testing the messaging. If you put in the message how much you were going to pay them, did that get a higher um, acquisition rate than it did if you said, I want to license it, buy versus license. And what's the answer? The answer is you you just kept testing until you increase your percentage. Sometimes it was the perfect template, and we had a lot of them, boilerplate templates for reach out messages. Um, but
0: that specific one, I'm curious: license or buy? Which license one? or buy?
1: I don't even know the answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we have data now that does tell us that, right? That we have people that gather that data, that yeah. optimize those messages. So all of our researchers in the company have kind of a script that they use, so that we're the, you know, getting there first is still essential. Finding yeah. that video first, um, but then having the right message and the right value proposition, which for our business is vastly different than it was six years ago. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it was just, hey, there's this one show. And it almost felt like we were freelance producers for the show. And hey, we can get it on, you know, True TV, Travel Channel, Discovery, etc.
0: So you mean when you started the company, you were you were still, the, the goal was to put it on shows?
1: Television. It was, so isn't that crazy? Oh, like wow. The whole okay. business was kind of calling it from the internet, but for traditional media licensing. Uh-huh. And at the time, it was just clip shows. So it was the writer's strike, which a lot of networks needed, Interesting. you know, They needed their low-cost, high-volume utility players. Of course, we hear these buzzwords still used. (laughs) This is what I need in a time slot. Um, But they were prolific. Like Every network had their version of a clip show. It was kind of when Ridiculousness was coming about, Tosh came about. um, But on every channel, there was a world's wildest this, even if there were specials. So we just became sort of a de facto unit of just submitting a lot of clips. We were sending DVDs at the time. Literally, the business was started with two laptops, a FedEx account, and a bunch of like DVDs screeners, which I was probably taking the DVDs from my, my work. We had full-time jobs. I mean, John did quit his job. Yeah, I was gonna I ask. was moonlighting. Okay. Um, I was like literally stealing pens. I can't believe I'm saying that. Well, <laughs> we all, we've we all, all did done that. it. Yeah. Post it notes in the pens. Yeah, John's like, okay. yeah, grab some supplies. All right. Um, someone's
0: stealing from you now. So it all it all works out totally. in the end. <laughs> like, where's
1: all that Perrier going, right? Every day. <laughs> um, but we were really just kind of a rogue unit. We also reached out to people we knew and just said, hey like be a researcher during your lunch break or at night. Like,
0: Were you paying them?
1: Yeah. If they brought it in, we would pay them. So it was just based on a commission because you're like, we can't pay anyone hourly. But hey, if you find a video, we'll give you a split. So if you acquire a video for X and we license it for X, we'll give a percentage to you. And it was profitable since day one.
0: So you didn't even have investors? You just started on your own? Just started on.
1: I mean, literally John had, you know, like any kid, a little bit of money in his pocket, yeah. but it was like buy the first video for a couple hundred, license it for a couple thousand, and the business was profitable from day one. The amazing thing is that all you needed was one video, so a single video asset. Let's just say it was a boating video that we're talking yeah. about earlier. You buy it for a couple hundred, license it for a couple thousand, you're not done. You own that video, all media worldwide perpetuity. You're the exclusive representative of that video, so we could license that video that week uh, um, to every right, a, million to a million times. times. So forever and ever there was a scenario early on where it was like, we really bought a video for that low cost and sold it like five times in a week to these various clip shows. And it was like, what do you do? I mean, you go to Vegas. right? What do you right. do? This is, it must
0: be like winning the lottery. What is the most you've ever made off one clip? Can you say?
1: Um, I can't say the exact, I can say what the video creator, the video owner. Yeah. So we call them, uh, the people who post it. Yeah. So in a a world of democratized video where there's all these platforms, there's thousands of copies. Think of it as we have to find the original posting of that video. Right. So how,
0: how do you find it? There's
1: a little secret sauce. It's technology and methodology for sure.
0: We won't get into that. That's way above my pay grade.
1: Um, yeah. But we still call them the OPs, okay. original poster. Oh, so we okay. Got OP. It's like the OGs. It's like the OGs, right? <laughs> that's so funny. the OP is like, did you know that that video that you love on that platform didn't even originate there? It originated like on Instagram mm-hmm. at this time on this day. So we have to find that person because that's the one you need the contract yeah. from. Um, so we find that video and then we're able to either do a buyout from them. And in some cases, think of these as videos no one's ever seen. Right. It's the simple cat video or skateboard video. And you're like, all right, it's got 50 views. But we know there's licensing value because we know that Rob Deerdeck needs it for ridiculousness. Uh Right. And so we're thinking of marketplace value. Right. You know, we know that a kid doing an amazing trick could end up on Ellen and they pay a better fee than something else. So there's economics into figuring out how much should we pay. Yeah. So there's simple buyouts. And then there's rev share deals. And the rev share deals are typically tied to what's called trending content. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it's yet viral, but it's kind of surfacing. You see all the indicators that this content could go. Right. And we have a massive distribution network because I'm going to license it to Ellen and i license it yeah. to Good, Day, or me, Good Morning America. And we're going to license it to BuzzFeed and Mashable. So we've built the pipes.
0: Right. But why would I, if I'm an OP, why would I take a buyout and not do a rev share if it can keep going and going?
1: In some cases, people want money up front. Right. Also, it. there's no like lifetime value in their clip. It's kind guys, of like,
0: right. It's like funny for today. Yeah.
1: It's funny for today or we see it. It's really those trending videos where people know they've got the lottery right, ticket. Right. That they and, will. And you'll say, let's do a rev share. We can advance you money or we can just ride this out. But in the next, you know, 72 hours, this viral wave will take place and you're going to see it. So in the case of like the, the woman who put on the Chewbacca mask. I was just going to say
0: Chewbacca, Chewbacca mask. Chewbacca That mom, was right? you guys. That was
1: us. Right. And she's live streaming. So now you have someone who is still live while we're reaching out. We're just hitting her up in the comments section. We're doing everything we can to get to her first and then offer up our big pitch. And our big pitch is you have no idea where this is going to live, how we're going to get it out, our distribution network, where we have rev shares against that so that we can pay you. So someone like that, and obviously there are hundreds more like her, maybe not thousands, but hundreds more like her, those people are making substantial amounts of money in return for getting it to Ellen, getting it to Kimmel and yeah. Fallon. And those don't, I mean, that's just very US centric. Think of the world. Think of like clip shows in Japan, news shows in, in you know the UK and Australia. Right. Around We're the in world. touch with all of them. So our licensing managers come in the next morning after Chewbacca Mom, hundreds of requests in their inbox to get that distributed around the world, all paying a fee.
0: So how much, for instance, do you think Chewbacca Mom has made so far?
1: Um, there's reports out there that she's made a lot, some of which is not touching Jukin. It's like okay. Kohl's gives her like a lifetime, right, 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 like a lifetime thing, like
0: hundreds of thousands. There I, are I people just... that
1: can make five or six figures okay. in their lifetime wow. from the licensing and monetization of their video. We've paid out in the last five years over ten million dollars to creators.
0: Wow. And
1: I'm at, no, I know, I, I blows my mind just because. So cool. We look at how do you compare that? What does that mean? And I think what it means is. America's Funniest Home Videos has been giving away $25,000 grand prizes for a long time. Yeah. And it took them like 25 years to hit that same mark. Right. So we did it in five. In a business that kind of used the America's Funniest Home Videos model, but had to flip it on its head, that just didn't make sense in you know in the new millennium era.
0: Right. Okay, so my I, again, a million questions, but I'm just trying to, you know, as you can see. Yeah, have, no, please. I have nothing to write down, so it's all <laughs> in my head. So, okay, first of all, how did you... So when you guys started doing this... How did YouTube not wake up and go, uh-oh, how do we not do this? How do we lose this opportunity to do what they're doing? We're losing our own content, right? Yes. Or am I not understanding? No, that? no, no, that's a
1: great question. Okay. So I, I feel like there's two answers. Yeah. YouTube has always sworn that they just want to be a platform. Huh. And because of that, they allowed companies like us right. and many others, um, a lot of which are based here in LA, to form what was known as multi-channel networks, Maker Studios, right. Full Screen, yeah. um, Machinima. They actually should have probably been in that business, but they always want to be hands off. They always want to be a platform so that they can serve ads to people. That's really what they care about is search and serving ads. And by everyone else doing the sort of maintenance work, the rights management, talent management, um, posting content, building content, all that, it was just adding opportunity for them to go sell more ads. And I think they took a position that they didn't want to take. They don't own the content on their platform. which is crazy, right? So I reach out to you, you post that video, I acquire the rights. YouTube doesn't own it.
0: But don't they have a YouTube studios where they own that content where they're paying to... uh,
1: They're just helping fund a lot of YouTube creators to go and create better content.
0: And and they can still license those to you guys. Uh Wow. It's a very a. They haven't even changed their model.
1: They haven't changed, to me... So interesting. By them... Here's what I'll say that. So that was like the first thing where it's like, why are they letting us do that? But then they're like, we don't want to deal with that stuff. Okay, fine. Um... But so many people built businesses, hundred million dollar businesses, billion dollar businesses on the backs of YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not so certain that Facebook is that way, although we always wonder what's going on at Facebook. All the publishers use Facebook, everyone, and they could change their algorithm at any moment and shut you down, which is why sometimes you're like, where did that publisher go? Interesting. Um, You know, they're not in my feed anymore. I'm not seeing them. But the other interesting part about YouTube is I can't believe in their creator network that they never took a piece. Because once you got to scale, and I'm not talking just PewDiePie, like the biggest, but let's just say the top 500 YouTube creators, vloggers, they went off, and and still do, and they've made movies, and cosmetic lines, and sold out concerts, and done this, and I'm thinking, if I'm YouTube, and I swear I want to be a platform, and I'm creator friendly... Even just a percentage. <laughs> right, give us one percent one percent right for just giving you the, the place to do the it. The bandwidth yeah. and all this stuff. Like I know they're taking a large percent of the ad revenue against it, but they weren't taking money from integrations. So if you were a creator and you know, wow. Skittles called Yeah and wanted to do this nothing. amazing nothing. Wow. Untouched.
0: Now what about you guys? What about do you have a model where if Skittles or Coles for Chewbacca mom comes in, do you get any piece of that? pie.
1: So we do what happened is so we were a traditional licensing company very B2B mm-hmm. and our goal was to take digital content and license it to TV shows. Right. TV shows became um broader because it ended up including more entertainment based programs like Kimmel and Fallon and Good Morning America mm-hmm. today. Um and eventually it expanded into we need to start working with publishers and ad agencies. Also, it's not just going to be for TV. Their Huffington Post needs content mm-hmm. and Yahoo needs this content, right? Think about the Yahoo homepage. It's right. probably half our videos. Wow. Um, and so we started striking publisher arrangements. We, we distribute to about 30 different publishers. So think of all the TV production companies and think of all the big discoveries and Viacom right. in the world, but then think of all the places like Gannett and Tribune and right. the large radio station and, and digital publishers all the way to ad agencies that need it. Sometimes they need to license for their creative use um, and other times they want to tap into our audience. And so that's where the other side of the business, and that's kind of when we really transformed. So not to get too confusing, but we went sort of overnight in, you know, 2012, 13-ish from being just a vendor, a mm-hmm. licensor of content to building out owned and operated verticals. So we had a library of videos, right? And we looked at our library and we said, we got fails, right. we got pets. We got people doing tricks. We got pranks. We have all these things. Right. Why aren't we building a model to curate for a consumer audience so they can watch it? And at the time, YouTube channels were a thing. It really just started with building a channel on YouTube. And the first one we did was called Fail Army. Yeah. And so we had all this fail content. And really, fails were derived from the great blooper shows of all time. And then the jackasses of the world. It was inspired by a lot of MTV Viva La Bam and Wild yeah. Boys it was that it was guys doing dumb shit yeah um and sharing it and it was funny and it was safe to a degree right it was yeah. not safe Don't for an try advertiser this at home. Yeah. right? not safe for an advertiser but safe for millennials age 18 to 34 right. and they really associated with that brand and right there we kind of built a blueprint for being a publisher and a programmer and that really diversified the business it got you away from just being getty images or Shutterstock, and it turned you into more of a studio um, or more of a functioning media company that, hey, we're Viacom now all of a sudden. Yeah. So we aspire to be. Yeah. Um, But we're going to have an MTV and a VH1 and a Comedy Central. And so we started building out verticals. And today, those verticals make up about 55 million fans and do about 2 billion views a month. So I'm using... 2 billion. 2 billion. So I'm using hand gestures. I realize they can't see it. But think of one side as how we make content available to third parties, right. the licensing business, yeah. I think of the other size as prog- programming and production.
0: Yeah, and even on that programming and production side, you guys then, sometimes those um, digital shows or I don't know, clips, I don't even know how you what the language is, you then um, sort of incubate, you sort of reverse engineer those, like Fail Safe Army or Fail, fail Art became a yeah. Fox show, right? It did,
1: and so the goal there is absolutely incubation model, testing we started with single clips mm-hmm. because that's what we had so fail army early days <laughs> right. it was just and and it was also like how many could we couldn't acquire that many in the early days yeah. it' was a volume issue but you were like all right let's put up a new clip a day yeah. so there was like seven clips a week you know that was it it was like fail clip at noon or whatever. yeah um it was almost like tune in it was actually an old model It was like at noon today we're putting up a new that's fail video so funny um
0: my by the way my stepson has a fail video that he still gets paid for a skateboarding one I'm sure it's you guys. It's yeah. He's still, it's, it, it's like 10 years old.
1: And he's and it's probably yeah. still getting licensed. If it's a good yeah. one, it's in every clip Yeah, show. he still,
0: he gets, you know, residual. he gets yeah. checked. It's the craziest thing.
1: We, I mean, we were unique in that I think at the time, no one was owning the content. That's yeah. a very big differentiator. There right. were plenty of websites, some of which I mentioned earlier, yeah, that had people just uploading and literally stealing content right. and posting it, right? And not getting it monetized. and. And the, the companies, the platforms that were letting those videos live on their homepage, they were selling ads against it. And they were selling big homepage takeovers for hundreds of thousands of dollars. They weren't paying the creators back. Right. So we're posting this and we're making sure that the creators get paid. And we're making sure we have the rights associated with the video to even be posting it.
0: So that's a good, that's a good point. So that when Ellen or Kimmel or whatever, because I used to think that You know, or like GMA would post like water cooler moment of the Uh morning. I used to think like they just have their own researchers scouring the internet, and like the internet's fair game, right? You could just put a post. It's not like it was
1: for a long time. Okay, so then
0: when you guys came along, that's when things. So now every game in town knows they can't just put a viral video up there without having the license. Or is there a fair use thing if it's news? Like what are what's if there's news?
1: We we believe in fair use. Okay, when in fact it is fair use. I think what happened. There was a dynamic shift several years ago, like you mentioned, where it was being used for full segments, mm-hmm. for, for truly an entertainment part of the program. It wasn't newsworthy. It wasn't anything. It was you're building audience for your show using this content. And it, I always love the argument that it's like, well, it was just, you know, posted. And it's like, but you're stealing it from someone. Right. There is someone <laughs> behind that video who owns the intellectual property. And think of Jukin as the agent for that owner. And absolutely, you pay. In fact, to this day, we still encounter it with the biggest news. I'm sure. I mean, if Chewbacca Mom is an example, ABC News is reaching out and they're all reaching out. They just want to use it. They just want permission. We're saying, hey, they pay for this content. Yeah. You should know that, yes, it's cool to get on GMA. Yeah. But GMA pays a license fee and that's where Jukin going to help you monetize.
0: I just saw, I was at 2020 with Shark Tank last week. Uh It was... uh, courtesy of Jukim Media was all the they showed a bunch of shows yeah see
1: like who would think like yeah. how does it get into those shows right. and uh, I think it's a credit to our team uh, on like the biz dev side on yeah. the licensing side thinking of all the places you know you think about like gas stations yeah. taxi cabs in flight right. entertainment on right. airlines you think of bars right there's there's like a, a bar distribution network bar and restaurant there are several of these, some of which are, if it's a chain restaurant, they have their own systems. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're sitting in the bar at Buffalo Wild Wings, you don't even need audio, right? You could watch a bunch of people. It's kind of like when you go to islands and there's like surf videos, right? you know, and that's that's another category for us. So it doesn't just have to be fails. It is extraordinary things like GoPro footage and right. drone footage. right? And then you start to realize there's a stock footage element that we can capitalize on. There's an action sports element we can capitalize on. There's wedding reveals, or excuse me, wedding proposals and baby reveals. Jesus, it never ends. It never ends. And it expanded so greatly that we've really gotten away from just kind of comedy fail bloopers into what does the world look like today through the lens of users? And it's amazing. There's, you know, 30, 40 different categories.
0: What's the hottest thing right now?
1: Uh, Feel good. Yeah, um, which like, which
0: is this going to make you cry? I think whether it's, whether
1: it's the current climate in this country or yeah, in the world yeah, right, right now. We need um, feel good. We need feel good. I also think, you know, around the holidays, it kind of trickles in where mm. we are licensing a lot of that content to brands for end of year campaigns about Christmas and the holidays, um, Valentine's Day. Like, anytime there's a big tentpole thing, it mm-hmm. feels like there's something to celebrate. Yeah, I think people are more interested in, Because there's so much of the other, like a funny dog video will still get you going in the day. (laughs) It's a quick six seconds or whatever. Um, But when you see something that's kind of odd or extraordinary, that has a higher likelihood of being shared because of all the video. It's like, why does one tasty video on Facebook do better than the other? probably because it's egregious and it's like bacon rolled, cheesy. It's It's almost outrageous.
0: Right, it's simple.
1: Right, like it's never just the one that's, you know, it's you want it Right, it's not how to make guacamole or something. Right, exactly. So I think there's something to like, I just watched a guy like jump off a bridge and dunk a basketball or something, (laughs) you know, like it's absurd and it feels like something you can't do.
0: So interesting. So how the hell do you have enough people to find all of these videos and get to all of these people like to me in my mind you need like hundreds of thousands of people but i know you don't have that many employees we definitely <laughs> don't
1: um that's a good question too i think believe it or not in any given day with all the content that's being uploaded into the world there's old stats that said there was 500 hours every minute on youtube so 500 hours every minute on oh YouTube my god just being uploaded that didn't ever contemplate facebook and facebook has become oh, a powerhouse right. that doesn't contemplate snapchat and all these yeah. other instagram um but think of it as a funnel at the top and think of once you get rid of music, which is a large percentage of yep. of, of YouTube, and you get rid of um, maybe just vlog or produced content, if yep. you will. We, we always say that it's... Um, intentional content versus accidental. We're looking for accidental.
0: Yeah, right. That's the thing. I was wondering about that too. Like, are people thinking, I want this to go viral and therefore it's not...
1: We have to We have to vet and make sure right. it's not manufactured. It actually doesn't thirsty. license as well.
0: Thirsty. Do you call them thirsty videos? Thirsty
1: videos, people who try. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happens is when, when people have a video that does become popular, yeah. they try to strike twice always. right? And it's like... Like it's those
0: just, are just one-hit wonders by
1: nature probably. 95 or 97% of wow. our library, one-hit wonders.
0: So interesting. The recurring
1: ones are the ones that do the cool stuff. Right. Because they have a talent or skill. Right, right, And that's right. much more of like an America's Got Talent yeah, type yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah, Totally. You know, you don't fail twice, really awesome. Right. You kind of just fail once and never do it again. If you do yeah. a cool win, like bottle flipping or right. something, we'll we'll enter into multi clip licenses. Okay. With certain creators. They're people that get great wildlife footage and stuff like right. that. Right. Where it's like, all right, they have a niche where you want right. to go. Right. People are gonna want to go back. Yeah, But for the most part, one, hit, one wonders. hit wonders. So interesting. And we find them rather than they find us. We are now getting thousands of submissions a week. And there's a job of someone to just filter through submissions. Right. So
0: it's not even your people finding them. It's people submitting now to you. Now we've gotten to that scale. Yeah. And I think
1: that's from the consumer side, our and so, brands, yeah. and our popularity. Every one of our brands is saying, submit your videos, blah, blah. Right. We still enter into agreements with these people. It's right. not like a click and opt in. We still reach out to them. We vet them. We get the right you know, contracts in place. Because if you're going to license to NBC Universal or Viacom or Google for an ad, You need to hand over binders that will make you sweat.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Okay. So I know how long it takes to get a deal done with a network, with a production company, whatever it is, you know, sometimes months. Uh How the hell are you guys navigating these contracts? I'm assuming that no one can make any changes to any contract, or You can't be in business because of the
1: volume, right? It's just like take it or leave it. It's kind of, yes, we've built it. I mean, it's evolved over a few years okay. to make it how do we make it as concise but thorough and and sort of bulletproof right right um we'll make tweaks here and there but licensing managers are able to work within the contract and and our acquisition managers to deal with it. It doesn't have to go to legal for like unless it's obviously extraneous oh, right all right hey legal team which they're yeah. busy enough right uh, and
0: so like how many um how many man how many license managers do you have
1: um in the world let's see. So they're all around the world. They're all around the world. So we have offices obviously in LA, yeah. uh, in Culver City, but we're, we have an office in London, New York. And then we have feet on the street in certain markets okay. because you need to have someone that's getting localized content out. Yeah. You need to have someone in that time zone. Right. So we have- you know so hundreds? S- no, 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 no. Uh, less. Like less than 20. Wow, yeah. amazing. On the licensing outbound. On the yeah. acquisition side, yeah. um, it can range because we have scouts- We have freelancers that are out there, literally again, multiple language support, every time zone, different parts of the world. But that team ranges, I always say it ranges between like 30 to maybe even 40 if you include the customer service piece and the rights management piece that goes into it. So it's like you reached out, you got that video, there still needs to be a follow-up with uh, the customer service representative. There's a whole bunch of, hey, here's what we're going to need. We need you to put this in the video description it's gonna say for inquiries, please contact Jukin Media. So we have very like a, a controlled template and yeah. process. But yeah, on any given day, there's you know twenty five to thirty people scouring and looking, um, and then there's all these other people that kind of support them.
0: So in terms of your day to day job, so you're the you're the face of the comp. You're one of two faces of the company basically. You're you're title You're the chief development officer. Yes. So does that mean you're basically charged with? how do I keep growing this business and expanding it beyond what it is? Like you said, the core business has changed over the years. Like what, did it just tell us about your job.
1: Sure. The made up title. Chief yeah, General. exactly. We all have made up yeah, titles. We all have made up titles. Um, it started initially as sales and biz dev was always just something that I think I'm probably better at than any other component of the business. And sales for us was a different thing. It wasn't going into an ad agency and selling a big media campaign it wasn't right. going and and striking kind of a partnership deals where that was like a getty where it's like pay us a monthly and you have access to our library and we built this licensing platform and you go there and you search for dog doggone skateboard <laughs> that really wasn't sales for us it's getting there yeah um but sales for us was we need to be end-to-end distribution from the licensing of the video to television mm-hmm. to the like syndication of the video to digital publishers to making this content for our own use all like into original series development. So development for me was build these brands. This is early days, build this thing, blow it up, and then the advertisers come to you. Mm-hmm. Um and eventually that just made sense when it was like, hey we're gonna produce our own content. Right. And development truly meant original content. Right, development.
0: like how I'm used to development.
1: The true development. Right. So, but that's
0: not happening anymore.
1: Oh, it is. It is. Okay, so it you is. said that
0: was at the beginning.
1: No, so what happened at the beginning was it was build the business and grow the brands. Okay. Still a huge focus. Right. So the pillars are fail army, people are awesome. The Pet Collective, Mm -hmm. and Juken Video. Juken Video is kind of like a TMZ catch-all. Got it. So these are four big brands. Yeah. They are powering the 55 million fans and the 2 billion views a month. Right. Um, And not to be dismissed is that they each have their own pod teams with like a GM. Wow. And people who wake up every morning... And they just think of how am I going to make People Are Awesome the most important brand in the world today?
0: And how many people approximately work on each of those channels? There's like
1: three to five as a pod. So okay. it's still pretty lean. Yeah, very lean. Um, you know, it's not like BuzzFeed or some right. of the others that have stacks of people working on each individual brand. Um, so that was the always the goal was better distribution, wider reach. I believe in content ubiquity. So if you want to reach uh, something called total potential audience, right. you have to be everywhere. Okay. So it didn't make sense if that... Video wasn't going to all these places. Mm -hmm. It's like if we only licensed it to a blog in Australia, we didn't do our job.
0: Hmm.
1: We need to get it on Ellen. Right. We need to get it in the door, whatever. And so, if it just meant calling up the news director or reaching out to more blogs or doing Twitter partnerships, yeah, getting YouTubers to use the content, we were just all in. I mean, this is really early days. This was how it kind of worked. You're pounding the pavement, basically. Yes, it was pounding the pavement. And hey. We'll share your video if you share ours. That was a lot of what huh. made YouTubers successful. They showed up in each other's vlogs. Yeah, that's what I viewed as like development. Can we build our business development to include AOL when AOL didn't know who we were? Yeah. To include Daily Motion, right? Um, and get some ad revenue from it. Now I look at it as my job is to run an original content studio. Yeah.
0: So that's my question. So uh, at one point, and you might still be doing this, the goal or at least the way that you had communicated it to me was to curate, you know, or figure out a way to take all this incredible content and then sort of uh, package it in a way that you could then create shows in the traditional, you know, TV model. Yes. have Is that still the case or you realize there's no money there and the money is on the digital side?
1: I would say that wanting to be in TV for us was more... Um, might have been more ego, right? Um, Still had the cachet. It, it's ego because we supplied all the shows with the content, right? And you always look and go, "Why aren't we making it? Right? Why aren't we making it? Why are we a vendor, right. getting you know service fees and license yeah. fees? But does that show exist without our content? Hmm. We had to dig for that and find it and clear it and do it, and yeah. then seamlessly give hand it, it off and right. give it away. And those people, we know the tricks they're doing in production yeah. and we know all the things, but yeah. we're kind of stacking the shows. And I think we always felt, and John coming from a production background, right. I, I know that this is what he always wanted was, let's make the damn thing. Yeah. And it made sense. If you look at our evolution, right? going from just a licensor to kind of a curator, mm-hmm. eventually you say, we're building audience. Yeah. We're selling ads and, and doing branded integrations and in that audience. And we're starting to do it, but where's our end to end? Right. Why aren't we making the package version, three minutes, five minutes, 11 minutes, yeah. 22, whatever, and selling it to digital and television? I would say that probably since you and I met, yeah. the focus is drastically shifted to there's an amazing world where we make a lot of sense in you know, streaming and in OTT platforms yeah. where we are making a ton of content and TV is maybe... A quarter of the.
0: Right. Time. Well, but also that makes sense to me from dem- a demographic standpoint yes. because the people watching that you built your business on are these millennials and they don't watch television. They don't even have
1: it. They so, don't even have Right. It right? Most networks the are word like.
0: TV doesn't exist in their universe.
1: I always, and I feel better at answering this now because for years you're like, we'll drive our audience to watch the show right. on now television. you're like proud that you're not. And you say, and, and everyone says you can do that, right? And you're like, listen, we have the ability to tell a digital audience that this exists. Yeah. Yes. But if they don't have TV, there's nothing I can do. They are not going to turn on right. that channel at that time because they don't even have the remotes. They just don't right. have it. They've
0: cut the cord. They've cut
1: the cord. And so we're, we're obviously doing a lot with Go90, You know, Verizon mm-hmm. service, and Comcast has a service called Watchable. And these people, I think, one, they're enjoyable people. They're great to work with. They're not in a scared environment where things are changing there's worries about where, what will the network do? Where will we be? Will we exist tomorrow? And they're doing things the way that I think should be done, which is the Netflix model, which is we get what it is. We're going to order 10 of them. Yeah. We're going to order 26 of them. And has
0: that happened yet? Yes. Okay, cool. So what's an example of like one series? So the used?
1: first series we did for Verizon uh, for Go90 was 50 episodes. Wow. And they're four minutes long. Yeah. And it's a countdown show and it makes fun of BuzzFeed a little bit. It's perfect for our DNA, yes, right? Yes, totally. It's, it's a countdown clip show where the lists are absurd. Right, Right. that's fine. And it's five reasons why you don't want to hang out with people named Gary at a party. <laughs> and you is it I mean? hosted? Yeah, it's like hosted. It have, okay. It's hosted in green screen. Like okay. that to me, it, listen, it's not the most original show, right. but it allows us to do what we're good at yeah. and it does well because we know the audience will like it. A lot of what we think about is, all right, I want to go make a show. And I want to make a big game show and I want to do it with Burnett. right? right? Or right. I want to go do this thing with ITV or I want yeah. to go do it with Freemans on all these. Right. But I don't know that my audience actually wants that.
0: Right. But was, that's and, me
1: trying to do something for like my mom. Yeah. A little exa- bit.
0: Right. It's dated. I mean, in yeah. the sense that I'm just thinking again about the numbers. Aren't you getting way more views than you would if it was The Voice or something else yes. where they can't pull? You know, I mean, that's a hit show, but you're getting billions of views a month.
1: We got on the example, the, the countdown show. Yeah. So we came up with a windowing strategy for that so that we would put the episodes up on Go90, mm-hmm. but we were driving them from Fail Army. It was a Fail Army oh, spinoff show. Okay. And so we were putting cut down versions on Fail Army like 72 hours later. We generated 200 million views <laughs> in, in, over the course of the run wow. for like a cut down list, like listicle version wow. to promote the show on Go90.
0: So not even on Go90. That was just on your- That's
1: just on ours. And it's like, I think that's just free promote. You know, those are just impressions. But you're like, that just shows you that I think our audience responds well to the type of content that we're serving them. They also tell you very quickly if they don't like it.
0: Right. I'm sure they
1: do. And that's how you test and iterate. That's how you incubate new things. But we're not trying to change viewing habits. We're trying to adapt to an environment where user content is more premium.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. Um, do you, in those instances, are you making money from um, ad revenue? Like, I'm, I'm just curious, like, how you guys make money on those. Sure. Things.
1: So in the sale of shows traditional model, so we're selling these shows to third-party platforms. Yeah. They're paying production. Um, it actually acts more like a license fee, like a per episode right. license fee. Okay. So there's certainly some margin there. Right. On our own platforms, yeah. we're making money from um, direct sales. Mm-hmm. So we have a sales team now, very new took years to get it up and right. running, but um, they're going out and selling the media along those two 2 billion views a month. So we have a lot of inventory on Facebook and YouTube yeah. where there's pre-roll ads, there's lower thirds that are running. Huh. And so anytime you watch a cat video or whatever, and you see an ad before it, that revenue flows into Jukin and then it gets parsed out. Okay. Um, and then there's integrations where they don't take a cut. So for example... Um, one of our brands is people are awesome Mm -hmm. and people are awesome has a massive Facebook following. In fact, if you scroll through your feed, you might see people doing like crazy dunks and cool frisbee tricks and hula hoop things. We can go to a brand, like, let's say we went to Mm Coca-Cola and said to Coca-Cola, we're going to do, um, a branded video of people using Coke bottles to do bottle flips. And we're going to have the people are awesome community. And it's going to be like a five minute video of the greatest bottle flips of all time and you brand it with a title card up right. front, and you know you just do traditional branded content, but you, you're you willing to share that, because that's just a cool video.
0: Yeah, you the, don't care that it's Coca-Cola. Right, the brand's not a nuisance, yeah. and
1: then they pay us kind of to produce that, and they pay on a viewer basis. So think of it as a cost per view. Yeah, um, that's so interesting. So that's where we're headed. Aren't the
0: brands coming to you now at this point? They are. I mean, yeah. I would assume. And is Facebook Live a competitor?
1: No, it's, it's a huge support mechanism for our business. So all of our brand channels okay. are now doing live. So- the four kind of pillars I mentioned, they all do live programming. Right now it's once a week. We do it on Fridays. There's a Fail Army live stream, which is hosted. There's a People Are Awesome live stream where we do stunts and stuff. Um, Jukin Video, they're doing all sorts of fun, old school, like, radio program type stuff. They bought a burner phone and had people call live on the air. Um, You know, we built little sets in a studio in our office. Like, Live streaming is only going to help broaden the brands. Cool. Because then it gets away from single clips and compilations. You've now introduced some talent. Eventually you go, hey, we're trying out this new format. And you kind of throw to a tape segment, right? You're treating it like you're a live show. Like here's this tape segment we did, tape segment. And this is us trying to navigate without a phone in downtown Los Angeles. And you do a funny bit. So it's allowing us to introduce new formats that we'll spin out. And I'll go pitch to Go90. And I'll go pitch to OTT platforms. Or if it makes sense, I'll go pitch it to MTV. It doesn't right, matter. Right. But we do think about it digital first. And if it makes sense, and there's a good 22-minute version that we can extrapolate, yeah. I'll absolutely go pitch it to television.
0: Well, it's interesting. And I I, I bet you're going to agree with this. Because <laughs> in my limited experience of trying to take a digital hit and tra- and and translate that to traditional television, it hasn't worked yet. and right. You see that woman, um, I'm spacing on her name, Grace Help, Hel- right? Yep. Her show bombed. Yep. And and it was, you know, wildly popular online and, and it just did not work on E at all. We had we found this incredible duo in my last company, Hannah and Kaylee. And they had a huge following in a short amount of time. They were hysterical. And, you know, we had multiple sort of iterations with different networks on the show because everyone fell in love with them. And we kind of Tried to play on the variety aspect, the clip aspect, without making, you know, without taking them out of their element, which is kind of what Grace tried, uh-huh. did not work. Right. And a lot of the feedback was they're better in smaller increments. <laughs> right. And I wonder if that's what you've come up against, that it really, unless it is a, cli- a traditional sort of tosh, you know, where you're using the clips as they should be used in sort of a hosted way, that it's really difficult to make that leap for whatever reason. It's different viewers. Yep. And it's, and it's just a different medium that doesn't necessarily translate. Do you find that that's been the case?
1: I think for talent, absolutely. I think yeah. where we're fortunate is that we're using assets and right. source material, and you can go anywhere with them. Mm-hmm. So an example would be, um, I have all these clips, and I could do the Tosh. And I have all the clips, and I could do the ridiculousness. And I have all the clips, and I could do weather disaster voiceover show. And I have all the clips and I could do a dating format where the people in the videos are contestants. So I'm not really limited in yeah. any specific genre. We talk about contemporaries in our space. It's like vice is very vice. You right. know exactly what right. vice is. Right, right, right. You know, and uh, there's a company called Tastemade, which is clearly food. And right. Style Hall is clearly fashion yeah, and Yeah, so though you're
0: not in any of those spaces. We can be in all
1: of them because as long as it's told through this user-generated world, mm. I can do docu. Right. and travel and food and so that's kind of what i've tasked our development team with and this whole studio it's like i don't know that i want to do those shows but i know that if we do them we're going to modernize the genre because clip shows have a stigma yeah and have for a long time you still see them sold around the world <laughs> right you know you double it in any language we make those there's low-hanging fruit there of course They're, you know you take it out to mip and you distribute it around the world and they yeah. slot in their language but i also think there's an ability to tell stories with found footage that haven't been done. So I don't wanna out-tosh Tosh. He's pretty damn good. He's really good. And mm-hmm. he's got a great writer's room, and there's a lot of money poured into that show, and he kind of owned the space. Yeah. I mean, Ridiculousness is kind of just a young hipper, America's Funniest. Right, exactly. In the same formula. And, you know, we did World's Funniest on Fox, right. which, you know, I think it didn't work because of the structure of the show. I don't, and I think there was maybe gameplay that we tried to attempt. I think Terry Cruz was a great host. I think there was energy, but it just felt like all that flash and really you just want more video. Just yeah, give me more video right. and more laughs. I don't need comedians on a panel to you know, necessarily buzz in or opt in. Right. Yeah. And maybe you lose some of the the great cachet of just videos that I watch in my feed for 10 seconds of gratification every day right. shown to me in a new way, a new packaging with a new voice is interesting.
0: Yeah. So what are your goals for Jukin?
1: I think now where we're at is we're going to supercharge this thing. And when I say that, I mean, we're going to supercharge the original content arm of Jukin because in a world that needs more content, we have the library stuff. We have the raw assets. Come and take it as you please. There's always a license fee. We're offering more service-based business. So a lot of shows bring us on and hire us to do kind of turnkey services. Hmm. So uh, the Duffy's being an example. Yeah. Um, I don't want to out them. I love them. Yeah. But they, they came to us. They had sold a clip show. Yeah. And you know, the network goes, how are you going to acquire all this content? Or where's it coming from? And they right. go, we have a partnership with Jukin. Right. The team at Jukin, we, we build them a pod. They work production hours. It's very white glove, high touch. What content do you need? Oh, we need, um, you know, crazy backflips off trampolines. Here you go. And if we don't have it, we'll, out, we'll go out and acquire it. So that's a very service-based offering. We're doing that for ad agencies. That's one of the fastest growing areas of the business. So think of during the Oscars, there was a Google Photos campaign. They hired us to acquire all the videos for that campaign. It's really, it's almost like they give you the shot list. Wow. You know, we need a video of someone popping balloons. Yeah. We need a video of find a it. kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they hire us. It's a service-based business, but a really great business. And so now we're going full attack on ad agencies, you know, clients direct, because I think there's a huge market. And eventually you're really just telling stories, right? You're, that's all you're doing. And so why wouldn't we want to tell our own stories? Right. And I'm, I look at the videos that come in every day. It's not prohibitive. It's almost eye-opening. You're like, it's like working in a newsroom where someone's like, did you read that Wired Magazine article? <laughs> right. That's a show. You know, right. did you see this this guy on this thing? Like He's everything's a, a show. Everything's a show. Everyone's a piece of talent. Everyone is an opportunity. Some of them are their own micro stories. Yeah. Some of them are formats. So wow. I mean it's really just an amazing creative space. I always worried when I first was looking for people and I think that's when we met. It was like, is this limiting? Does someone like I don't want to be in Clipland? Yeah. For the next so now years. it's
0: just blown up.
1: Now to me, it is the Snapchat generation, the way we yeah. view things. I mean, think of all your friends that are posting yeah. even on Facebook. Yeah.
0: No, they're, don't don't think of me. You, I'm too old, but they, I know what you're talking about. You know, about. they're
1: just posting videos. Right. Like I'm getting them sent to me all day and I'm like, yeah. this is an amazing place to be. I would rather be around user content because I think in all discussions that you have, user content is there and you don't even think about it. It's literally the same thing as amateur and premium, the gap is narrowing. You don't know the difference. If a drone right, is flying over the beach in Santa Monica yeah. and you see that awesome aerial of people working out and running right, and doing stuff, right. I don't know what the difference is yeah. between that.
0: And a helicopter that cost a million
1: dollars from yes. The
0: Bachelor or whatever.
1: Right. And and you could license that into a movie. Like that could yeah. be in the Baywatch movie. Wow. They could set up a drone yeah. to fly and get the same shot Amazing. that they would otherwise get. So,
0: Do you want to uh, get into features? Is mm-hmm. that even like a, is there even a place for
1: I don't. I don't think about it. The one time we thought about it was uh could we take Fail Army as a feature the way Jackass became a feature. Yeah. And is there a creative way to do that? I think the the hard part would be I don't want to live in it for two years. Yeah. Right. right. The well, T V business is scary enough alone. Yeah,
0: no, it's true. It's 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 the opposite of instant gratification. Yeah. It's it's a slog.
1: It's I mean really if slog. if if the guys from Jackass are listening to this right. <laughs> and they wanna do some sort of Jackass meets fail army since yeah. Really, you know, does it exist without guys like that? No,
0: it's actually a great idea. There's something
1: extraordinary about old meets new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new generations. So if if Bam and Johnny want to come and...
0: Okay, so what's Juke Media? Why why is it named Juke Media?
1: um, Goofy name. Uh, Most people think it's Junkin, which is funny. They see like the invisible N. Yes, Also, there's probably an autocorrect scenario that kills us. Definitely. So I still go on meetings even as recently as last week where the meeting request on my calendar says... Does media. it really? That's oh yeah, funny. Um, John believes that that's a word, and be- it is a word to some degree. Don't look it up though. On uh is, ur- it, or, is it nasty? Uh, it has a bad connotation <laughs> in some places. But urban you- dictionary. Urban dictionary. But the indication and the reason why that word mattered to him was Chicago slang for the party's happening. It's jumping. We gotta go. And he literally said this every day. He was like, "Yo." Friday night, where are we go in places juking. like that's hysterical. He he believes that he's Trent from Swingers. <laughs> he thinks he's Vince Vaughn's character, which I guess makes me Fabro, and I'm just sad crying over an ex girlfriend. But that's
0: hilarious. Um,
1: but he was just, and he's that guy though. He was the one. He's like, come on, this place is awesome. And he would pull up, and he would like crank the music in the car. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm like, Stop. we have no money, right. and we're pulling up to valet, and John's like, got ten bucks to give the valet, and that's it, that's you know. And we're hanging crazy. out at like high end restaurant bars, but we're like. We're just drinking in the bar. We're not, you know, we were just, I think we really wanted, when we moved here, we moved with purpose. I moved out for a job. John started working at uh, the Thompson Hotel in Beverly Hills. He was like a valet. Yeah. You know, he's making no money. He wanted to get into the TV production. Yeah. Worked at this really small shop that ended up getting a hit. It was called Country Fried Home Videos. Yeah. On CMT with Bill Engvall. That was the first show. That That was where this kind of came from. He yeah. was the, the kid that they were had running, getting coffee. And he what, was house-sitting for the, the owners of the company. Oh, and, wow. And then they made him a researcher. And he was just, hey, I found this video. And right. they're like, you can't prove that's the guy that owns it. And he did.
0: So when you, what were you doing? You were working
1: in... So I moved out and my first job was at Reuters. So yeah. I was news right away and I was a journalism major. So I was excited, um, but it was in advertising. And so... I worked downtown, I sat around all the journalists for Reuters, yeah. but my job was to sell as a sales assistant or sales planner, um, Reuters.com, which no one goes to Reuters.com, right. um, but it was a news site. It was like CBS News or any of the others. And you know, we were selling banner ads to Lexus and homepage takeovers. Right. This is like when that was dying and video was like, hey, you got to buy video ads yeah, or right. sell video ads. Um, so that was the job that brought me out. And then I got a job offer to go work for a company called Music Choice. Which, if you have, video, I love music. music choice. Choice. yeah, video on demand. Oh my god, uh, amazing, years. amazing company. I was there for over three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I worked for a guy that is one of my best friends now. He's a true mentor to me. Not only taught me sales, but just has the greatest disposition of any human being you've ever been around. Nice. And he just helped me, and 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 kind of made me enjoy L.A. I really didn't like my first year in L.A. Um, kind of that post-college, I don't know what I'm doing in life, but I <laughs> ran away a little bit. Right. Um, and so. While I was there, is when John and I were hanging out a lot, and we used to go sit and talk about crazy ideas. <laughs> and I think some of those ideas were like, "Let's go get in TV and film." You know, you just want to make something, yeah. Um, and not not with an ego, but you want to make something because you're like, "We're in LA, we made it." All of our friends are getting married; they're moving back to the suburbs, and she's very Midwestern, right? And right. it just wasn't for us. I think we really had dreams of doing things. Um, we didn't know we were going to start a business. Yeah. Um, we didn't know it was going to be an a clip business. Yeah. Um, and we didn't know it would be successful. But I think we did understand that we were really, really like big risk takers.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And one of the things I always tell people is that in the early days, when you don't know what you're doing and you don't know and you rely on each other, which you might want to kill each other for that, or you might benefit from it, you just have to take every meeting. You don't know any better. And so there's a lot of weird meetings Right. and there's a lot of things where you go, that, that doesn't make sense. Or yeah. where's their money here? Like right. you just take everything you're feeling it out. and you feel it out. And uh, it grew quickly kind of, you know, four and a half, five years later, you're like, what is happening?
0: And has the friendship survived?
1: It has. That's it has. Awesome. And we, I mean, his brother works for the company. Yeah. There's a huge, huge like Chicago nice Uh, power behind it where it's like anyone that has that on their resume i shouldn't say that but it's kind of true if you're from the midwest apply to jukin there are a lot of people john went to columbia in chicago we get a lot of people through an intern program at columbia Mm -hmm. that send them he goes back and speaks at our high school
0: and everyone who works for you is under 25 basically right there is a there's
1: a (laughs) large group of people that i would say are in the 22 to 30 that probably make up 80% 80% of the company.
0: Have there been any duke and romances? I just think of it as like Melrose Place.
1: There have. Some I don't even know right, about. Right, right. You're probably not supposed to know. And I find out and I'm like, wait, really? Like a holiday party, I'll find out. Right, um, right. right. But funny. yeah, there are people that have dated. Um, some that have been ultra serious. and Others yeah. that you're mm-hmm. like, oh, we got a, is that a front desk situation that I, <laughs> I need funny. to know about? Yeah. But it's, you know, when you put that many people...
0: It's going to happen eventually. It's going to happen. And there's young people who are working or our eyes are glued to a screen all day. They're going to have to get some release. Exactly. (laughs) And they all,
1: I think what's great about it is in the new economy or the new world that we live in, workplaces look like Jukin. We didn't know it. Yeah. Right. Like I came from a world, and I'm not that old, but I came from a world. Where I was like, I was in a satellite office. Right. And it was just cubicles. Right. Just or whatever. Like. Bluchy. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was. Like just, office space. Right. And like my roommate at the time, when I first moved out, worked at an, a talent agency, and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. you know that was the coolest thing. Right. And I was like, yo, invite people. He was around yeah. young people. I wasn't. Right. I was around old angry journalists. Right. Um. And then when I worked at Music Choice, there was like six of us.
0: Right. So this is yeah, you can It's hard to explain. Are there pictures on your website? People? Yeah. It's it, a very cool space. It just.
1: It looks like a warehouse yeah. with, you know, kegerators and right. ping pong and right. pool tables and darts. And there's a movement in the office that feels sort of like a social newsroom, right? Yeah. It feels like if you're at HLN, <laughs> but not HLN. A, cool, a HLN. cool You know, HLN when, you know, you're aging it to a 27-year-old. Exactly. Um, so it has that pulse, which yeah. I think mean is fun.
0: Well, I guess my last question is... I'm sure you guys have been approached to be bought and that's, I mean, is that what's next or is, can you not talk about that?
1: No, no, no. We can, um, I think there are always people that are interested because we're one of the few independents that are kind of left in that, that bubble. Um, right. Some of the ones I mentioned earlier, those multi-channel networks or these.
0: Right. Like maker was bought by Disney. Right.
1: Full screen was acquired by the uh, AT&T Churnin oh, okay. and Otter Media Um Right, right, right. Um, fund. Everyone from Machinima just got gobbled up by Time Warner, which had an investment stake in them. And all these others. Like There's these other businesses. We actually never really aligned with those. A lot of those businesses were about rolling up channels and kind of these ridiculous creator network, 60,000 creators. I don't know how you manage that. Um, we were about owning IP and using these platforms to find great videos and great stories, more importantly, because you own the story and you could tell that story any way you want. So, I think because we're an independent and uniquely positioned around the world is user generated and the future of storytelling is user generated, there is always going to be interest in what that means. But because we have all these functions of the business, it's very complex. Do I look at you guys like a a service offering? Do I look at you like a licensing platform? Do I look at you like a studio? Which I hope, if I do my job right, that's your goal. That's what it becomes because in a modern world, the studio business, we've, we're seeing it with Paramount and Sony right and some, it's scary. You know, they are having flops and, you know, so TV's propping up some of these things, right? Yeah. If it weren't for the Netflix and Amazons of the world and these ultra premium series, I don't yeah. know that they, you know, it's scary that they're having to slash and, and cut these things. And I'm like, because they're doing too many things and their bets are too big and they can't spend that money properly and to market the thing. And it's like. We're building marketing and distribution, very low cost. We're building audience. There's a model in the future where maybe we can get them to pay $1.99 for Fail Army content where people are awesome content. So thinking about that now and building a media business behind it, I think puts us in a better position so that the interest will come from some of those people that couldn't figure it out. I think that's always the goal. People always say, who who buys you? What's your dream scenario? And you're like, well, I assume Disney bought Maker because Disney tried online many times. Right. And they're like, I don't know, we need this thing because this is where kids are watching content and we're going to find talent here. We're going to market our movies here. We're yeah. gonna do. There was a good principles in why they did it. Right. It hasn't worked because no. I just don't think there was a synergy. Right. But it makes sense. And I look at where the ones that are successful and why and look at the partners and it's like any merger and acquisition. right? You're like, all right, well. It made sense. AOL time order didn't make sense. No. And it didn't work because of that. But I think someone that buys us has the sensibilities of, you know, the Viacoms of the world or the discoveries of the world where we're already huge clients of ours. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, all right, the future of content is user generated. Why aren't we gobbling this thing up? Yeah. Um, Well,
0: you'll have many suitors, or I'm sure you already have, and you'll just be smart about it, right? I mean, you don't have to sell right now.
1: We don't. We have raised very little capital. So I mentioned that we were a bootstrap business from day one. Yeah. Um, in the last couple of years, we've raised money all strategic, yeah, all angel investors, no VC money. Okay, we control it. Yeah, we get to make decisions. That's a hard thing to, to relinquish. Yeah, because as soon as you raise a big of round, of course, or you You're obviously a um, they just sometimes they they do the thing where they like to tell you, versus how do we help build this thing into a billion dollar business? Right, which I think is, can you do what Snapchat did?
0: So you guys, you what what are you valued at now?
1: Uh, I it, it's not public, so I can't okay. actually talk about it. But <laughs> right. there, there is no market value. It's really whatever someone's willing to pay. Got it. Um, when we've raised money, there's been caps on that, right. and so people can uh, right. associate what the number is. But it is very much a, a lean business by a bunch of guys that you know, a bunch of Chicago kids. Right.
0: right? It's a great story. Mm. It's such an amazing success story. It's so interesting. I think it's, um, sort of you know, where all of this is headed in some way. So it's, it's just really interesting to hear about it. And congratulations well, on your thank success. Thank you thank
1: you for having, this is fun. I would do this all the time. In fact, <laughs> this is like a good place for me to recruit talent. Can I recruit talent here? Absolutely. You, want, we need co, you know, we need producers and yeah. people to come in, come bring us ideas. Let's go develop them. Yeah.
0: You hear that. So yeah, yeah I mean, this is, I, I do think there is probably a lot of synergy for a lot of, because I actually said in my intro that we're very behind with the digital of it all. You know, um, my company just signed a partnership deal to do a digital network, actually, mm-hmm. for our space, with um, the crime space. So I'm excited about that. And it's, and it's shocking that there is nothing out there. I right. mean, how can something that's so popular not be represented online? It's just insane. Um, so anyway, um, I think there are opportunities for a lot of these companies and producers and people that I have on to... Um, to think this way. So I think it's really good that they know about you and and everything that you're doing because you guys, there there is definitely an opportunity, I think, for us to get with the program, so to speak, and you guys to benefit from that.
1: Well, we look at categories as like, what do we want to tackle next? And that's a huge part. We're always incubating, not just shows, but verticals. So, you know, we have these pillars, but, you know, how would we approach sports? How would we approach music? How would we approach, whether it's crime or weather, like... Yeah. You're verticalizing the same way publishers verticalize. We're, right. we're not reinventing it. Right. Um, I just think we're doing it in a way that looks more modern in 2017. The Times and the Condes and the Hearst of the World, I know they're all trying and they're all doing it, but those are legacy brands that I don't know matter to a 16-year-old.
0: They don't. Not even. They haven't even heard of that. Right. I mean, right. that's the, that's the reality. I mean,
1: we saw what happened with Esquire. Yeah. Well, and like, and I love Esquire. said lunch with
0: Manhattan yesterday. And I
1: love yeah. Esquire because, yeah. like, that's what I read. I pick it up totally. at the newsstand, and I'm a 33 year old guy who likes fashion, and I yeah. like style, and I like reading the cover story. But I don't know that that matters to the next generation. Yeah. And no, it's someone's going to come up with that yeah. brand that is the next Esquire.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just like you know what is the next thing because it's true. It's not Esquire. And again. My 24-year-old stepson's probably never even
1: heard of Esquire. We spend more time thinking about, the, the leadership team spends more time thinking about what is the next thing. Yeah. And it's not just like, let's go in that space because everyone else is doing it. Right. It might let's be, create the new space. Let's create new space. There's a ton of white space that you mentioned, crime <laughs> and everything else, yeah. that it's like we could really do something unique. Like we look at drones and where we sit near drone um, or where we sit near, you know, POV footage Mm -hmm. like the snap spectacles and stuff like that it's like we're that that's very adjacent to our business it doesn't veer far we're not chasing shiny objects and I think that's where we likely will go is new verticals where we can incubate new formats and take them upstream and that model is working and that really builds your studio so
0: I love it I'm overwhelmed in the best way (laughs) no thank you so much for having me this is great thanks Josh
1: thank you